Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for the privilege of coming together this morning to look at your word. Lord, we want to draw closer to you. We want to see Jesus and his beauty and his character this morning. And Father, we just pray that as we, as we study and as we look at your word, that our hearts would be touched, that we'd be drawn closer to you, that we'd be encouraged to be able to stand through the times that we're living in. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, how many of you have ever been in school before? Anyone? Okay, I'm, I'm hoping a few more than that. Many of us have been in school, if not all of us. Now, how many of you were ever given a test in school? Did you ever get a teacher handing you a test in school? Now, one thing that is so crucial about tests is not only do we have to know that they're coming, but we have to know how to be able to pass them, right? Now, that was an issue for me as a student. I often knew that the tests were coming, and don't get me wrong, sometimes I didn't even know that. I didn't always pay the best attention. But I did realize that if a test was coming, there was nothing significant about just knowing that there was a test without knowing the answers that were going to be on that test. Would you agree? Now, sometimes it may sound foolish, but how often do we know that there's a test coming upon the earth, but instead of looking to the answer to the test of how to be able to go through it, we start to study the, the, the person giving the test more. Now, if you don't know what I'm saying, I'll give you some answers. If a teacher gives you a test, is it going to help you at all in your time of taking the test if you know where the teacher went to school? Is that going to help you as you're taking your mathematics test? No, no, no. Is it going to help you if you know what their favorite color is or what they ate for breakfast or their, their testing methods? Well, maybe their testing methods, potentially. But the reason why I bring this up is as Seventh-day Adventists and as Christians this morning, we know because of Revelation, the passage of Scripture that we read, that there is a test that is coming upon the earth, right? Would you agree? Did we all read the same passage of Scripture? It tells us that all, both small and great, rich and poor, bond and free, are going to be faced with a test. And this morning we're not going to be looking at what is that test, but this morning we're going to be looking at what will it take to withstand that crisis. In other words, how can we be found faithful, and by God's grace, how can we make it through that test? How many of you think that's an important thing to look at? Oftentimes... We can get so caught up in the person that's going to be involved in giving the test. Or we can be so caught up in the crisis that's going to hit, right? We can read verses that tell us that those who don't obey and have the mark of the beast will be killed. And we get so frightened and we spend so much time staring at that that we don't understand what it means to be able to stand during that time. Does that make sense? Is anyone else with me? This morning what we're going to be looking at is how can we withstand the final crisis? Now, turn with me to Revelation chapter 13. Some of you may still be there from the scripture reading. And we want to look at some characteristics of this test. And I want to ask if any other story in the Bible comes to your mind. Okay, Revelation chapter 13. And we're going to look at a few passages. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 3 tells us, and I saw one of his heads as it was mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And then it says, and all the what? All the world wandered or marveled and followed the beast. 
And they worshiped the dragon who gave him authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to make war with him. We realize that it's a universal problem, right? That all the world will be faced with this issue. But not only that, what does verse 8 tell us? It tells us that all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Those whose names have what? not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, even though all the world will be wondering after this power, there will be two classes of people, right? Those who worship the beast and those whose names are written where? In the book of life. Now, how many of you say, I want my name in the book of life? Amen. That's where we want it to be. But not only that, look at some of the imagery that comes up. Notice verse 15. What is this test over? He was granted power to give breath to the what? Image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be what? Killed. Now, can you think of anywhere else in Scripture where there's a universal calling, or maybe even in the then-known world, everyone was called together. They were called together to worship an image and those who would not worship the image were to be put to death. Does this ring any bells? What story comes to mind as you think about this? Daniel, right? In what chapter of Daniel? Daniel chapter 3, and this morning we're going to see that the story of Daniel chapter 3 and the story of Revelation 13 go hand in hand, and we're not looking at what are the understanding the symbols of who these powers are, but we're looking at how can we be faithful by the grace of God to stand through the final triumph, through the final conflict like the boys in Daniel chapter 3 were. How many of you think that's a good thing? Let's turn to Daniel chapter 3, and this morning we're going to be looking at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, the church school kids should know this story, right? The last time we had worship, we talked about Daniel chapter 3. I see Abriel nodding her head. At least someone was listening. Daniel chapter 3. And the question is, how are we going to be able to stand? You know, when John the Revelator is looking at the last days of Earth's history, you can read it in in Revelation chapter 6, in the last verse, it says, And the great day of His wrath has come, and what? And who shall be able to stand? The question and the focal point of the Christian is not the crisis, but it's the Christ. Amen? Our goal is not to be looking at all the crazy things in the world going going on around us, but how is it that God in us can cause us to stand in that time? Amen? Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to get a first glimpse of seeing if this story truly does match up to Revelation chapter 13. Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was what? 60 cubits, and its width was 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And the king Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image which king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image of King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And then a herald cried aloud, 
To you it is commanded, O O people, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Verse 6, And whoever does not fall down and worship the image shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Now, as you read through this section in Daniel chapter 3, does it ring a bell and sound like Revelation chapter 13? Notice the language that's used here. Who is called to this great celebration? Well, we might want to just say everyone, right? Notice verse 2. He calls together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province of Babylon. Now it continues on and tells us in verse 4, To you it is commanded who? O people, nations, and languages. The people who's in the congregation in the time of Babylon are all the people in the then known world. Would you agree? All the important people are called together for this great celebration. And what is the celebration all about? Worshiping what? In golden image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, how large was this image? 90 feet tall, right? And how wide? 9 feet wide, right? 60 cubits, and we realize that a cubit is about a foot and a half. And we see as all these people from the nations all around are coming to gather for this worship service, do you think it was pretty impressive? Absolutely. I mean, can you imagine seeing a 90-foot tall statue completely of gold? All of that's happening. Beautiful music is playing. And and the king is calling them together to worship. But what happens? Are there two classes of people in Daniel chapter 3? There's a class who does what? They worship the image. And there's a class who stands instead of bowing down to the image. Would you agree with that? Many of us are familiar with this story. And so we're we're familiar with the fact that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, instead of bowing down, what do they do? Well, Daniel chapter 3 and verse 12 tells us exactly what happened. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 12 Actually, verse 3 or verse 7 will give us a a better start. So, at the time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the harp, the flute, the lyre, and salt, and symphony with all kinds of music, all people, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. And they spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. But notice verse 12, There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, And these men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. And they do not serve your God or worship the gold image which you have set up. Now this is the exact same layout of Revelation chapter 13. And we realize that just like in Revelation chapter 13, once again there are two groups. Those who bow to the image and those who are faithful to God. 
And the question this morning is what is it going to take for all of us to be able to stand in this last great time, right? Revelation chapter 13 tells us that this instance is not only going to happen way back 2,500 years ago in the time of Daniel, but it's going to be happening to each one of us in these last days, right? Isn't that what Revelation chapter 13 says? And the question is by God's grace, what is it going to take to be able to stand? Well, I believe if Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were faithful, that maybe there are principles in their lives that show us how we too could stand through the last great, the last great conflict. So this morning, we're going to notice that there are three key principles that caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be able to stand. And I believe by God's grace that they would assist us in being able to stand to God's glory. The first principle that we find is one that we see already, and I guess before we even dive into the first principle, we have to understand why is this issue such a, a great issue. As, as the Jews were called to Babylon, and as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing there at the celebration in Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar causes them, asks them to do what? We, we've talked about this already, we're just rehearsing it. To bow down to a what? To an image. Now, can you imagine being a Jew, or imagine being Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you hear that you're supposed to bow down to an image, what immediately comes to your mind? What about Exodus chapter 20 and verse 4, where it says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow thyself down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers of the children unto the third and fourth generations of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. You see, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing there, they realize that the laws of the land have now come in conflict with the law of God. And as they remember what the law of God says, you shall not bow yourselves down to them nor serve them, they also remember the last part of this verse as well, right? It says that He shows mercy unto thousands of those that what? Love Him and keep His commandments. As Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing there in the crowd of people, they realize that being obedient to God is more important than fitting in to the laws of the land. You see, we live in a society today where fitting in has become more important than being faithful. It's more important that we don't offend people. Now, now don't, don't get me wrong in any of this. Jesus never offended anyone needlessly, right? He never said any harsh word to someone. But Jesus never compromised principle either. And we realize that Jesus, as, as His followers, as we're Christians and we're de des desiring to follow the, the faithfulness of Jesus, we realize that in order to be able to stand in the last great conflict, we too, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, have to be more concerned about faithfulness to God than fitting in to our surroundings. Amen. Now we realize that we live in a time today where many people are even faced with this challenge. There's a lady by the name of Kim Davis. Any of you heard of her in the news lately? Kim Davis is a county clerk from northeastern Kentucky, 
And Kim Davis has been a clerk, I, I don't remember for how many years now, but she was faithfully serving her duties. But just a few months ago, there was a law passed in the Supreme Court that she was supposed to allow homosexuals to get married. Now, Kim Davis, being a Christian, she realized that performing those acts that were expected of her as a clerk went against her conscience and her convictions as a Christian. Now, Kim Davis refused to, to sign those certificates and to go through with the process, even though the government was approving it. You can imagine the flack that she got, and so much so that in standing for her convictions, what happened? Well, she went to jail. And we realize that for Kim Davis, that faithfulness to God was more important than fitting in. Brothers and sisters, we're not talking about some legalistic faithfulness to God. We're talking about a love for God that is so great that how could we ever do something that God tells us not to do? Spouses know this well. If your husband or your wife dislikes something, but because of your surroundings you start to do things that your spouse doesn't approve of and that hurts them, does that really show that you love your spouse? Absolutely not. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We realize that faithfulness to God is so much more important than fitting in, even though we live in a society where minimizing differences is rising. But we have to see that faithfulness to God is the first key to standing in the last great conflict. One thing to notice is that faithfulness to God for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came with an equal amount of faith in God's ability to save them. Notice with me Daniel chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. They were just taken to King Nebuchadnezzar, and King Nebuchadnezzar got so upset, it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will be able to deliver you from my hands? Now I don't know about you, but I can imagine the fear and trembling that I would be experiencing if I was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. People have estimated that the size of Babylon at that time was about 200,000 people. Plus you have the surrounding nations there and they're all there and you're the only three people who are standing out in the crowd. But as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego see that faithfulness to God is more important than fitting in, notice what their response is. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us from your hand, O King. But if not, let it be known to you, O King, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Now how many of you could have the same response? Well, let's just take our superhero hats off for a moment. 
and actually come to terms with how weak we are as Christians and imagine the pressure of the surrounding nations. And as you're brought into conflict and you realize that the world is telling you to do one thing, that the government is endorsing it, but God is calling you to do something else. I believe that the only reason why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to be faithful to God instead of fitting into culture was not just because they knew what the law of God said, but I believe the reason why they were able to be faithful instead of fitting in was because they saw the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. They saw that God would be faithful to them. They knew what the end of the, the, the second commandment said, that He would show mercy to thousands of those that love Him and keep His commandments. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't just work up some superhuman courage. It wasn't just some works-based religion where they decided to stand in rebellion against the government. But no, it was as the faithfulness of Jesus melted their heart. And as they foresaw the sacrifice of Jesus on their behalf, every time they slaughtered a land, they remembered about the Messiah that was coming who would be faithful unto death. They realized if they had a Savior who was faithful unto death, how could they not trust in that Savior? And the only way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to stand was they were faithful instead of fitting in by seeing the faithfulness of Jesus. There are two small characteristics, well, we can't call anything small. Two other characteristics that we see were prominent in the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that caused them to be faithful in standing. We realize that Daniel chapter 3 was not the first test that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced. Would you agree with that? What happened in Daniel chapter 1? Were they faced with a test there? What was the test they were faced with? Food, right? Now, some of us might say, why would you even mention that? That's such a small test. Now, we know the experience of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel, right? For those of you who aren't familiar with this, we should go back and reread Daniel chapter 1 this afternoon. But we realize that when they got to Babylon as slaves, the king gave them the delicacies to eat that they knew were against the law of God. They wanted their bodies to be the temple of the Holy Spirit so that God could work in them. And we realize that Daniel did what? Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 tells us that Daniel purposed in his heart, that he would not defile himself with the king's delicacies. We realize that Daniel and his three friends were faithful in this small test. Now what happened in Daniel chapter 2? Daniel chapter 2, another test comes, and this time we don't really hear about the other three as much, but we realize that Daniel was most prominently faced with this test. Now the test was the king had a dream. The king couldn't understand it. And all of the people of the wise men of Babylon were gathered together to tell the king his dream. Now, could the wise men do it? No, they couldn't do it. And so the king says, hey, if you can't tell me, off with your head. So the king goes and he goes to the door and Daniel gets a knock on his door that says, hello, I'm here to kill you. And Daniel says, hey, why is the decree from the king so hasty, right? Now we realize that Daniel, in another sense, he was faced with a small test what he would eat in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 2. Will he trust in God's ability to deliver him? This time he's not standing in front of hundreds of thousands of people, but just a one-on-one -on -one presentation with the guard. And by God's grace, what does Daniel do? 
He doesn't cry. He doesn't say, I don't know what's going to happen. He doesn't despair. But no, no, he asks his friends for a prayer meeting. Do you guys think there's importance in prayer meeting? I would agree. They come together and they pray together. And does God deliver him from that other test? Absolutely. God gives Daniel the dream and the interpretation of it. Now notice the progression of these tests that come all throughout the chapters. Daniel chapter 1, he's tested with food, seems smaller. Daniel chapter 2, Daniel is threatened with his own life, not in front of everyone, but on more of a localized scale. In other words, the test just got a little harder. Daniel chapter 3, we see that the test is now even exponentially grown to where hundreds of thousands are potentially watching as Daniel and his three friends choose whether or not they will be faithful to God. Well, we realize Daniel chapter 3 doesn't mention Daniel himself, but it mentions the other three friends. And were they faithful? Now, do we realize a pattern here? In order to stand, we not only have to be more willing to be faithful to God than to fit in, but we also have to, by God's grace, be faithful in the small test. I want to ask you a question, and, and maybe this is where I went wrong in school. I know I, I have a lot of disclosures about my academic life, and you can look at my report cards after. They're not as bad as they sound like. But all throughout school, I had a struggle with, well, not all throughout, college was a little better. During high school, I had a struggle with being ready for the tests. Now, I want to give you an example of what my study habits were like. A quiz would be coming tomorrow, and I didn't study. And I would come to the quiz, and I would take it, and, well, by the grace of God, I got a C. I don't know if that's a blessing or not. But I would, I would somewhat pass, right? And I kept going through it, but as I would come to each quiz, I wouldn't study. And then I was shocked. By the time I would come to the midterm, I knew nothing. Because why? I hadn't studied on the smaller tests, so how could I be ready for the greater test that was to come? So often as Christians, we think, you know, if a great crisis comes to this earth, I'll be faithful and I'll stand up and I'll be true to God. But my question is, if we're not faithful in the smaller things, in other words, if the Bible says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, if we're not faithful in loving our spouse, do we think we can be faithful to stand up in front of a crowd and be faithful to God at that time? No, we have to understand from the experience of Daniel and his three friends that in order to stand the last great crisis, we have to take every test, no matter how small it seems, and by God's grace withstand it and go through it by faith in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the only way we can be ready is not by just looking for some great final test. No, no, it's being ready today that prepares us to be ready tomorrow. It's knowing the love of Jesus today and allowing that to transform our lives and to change every ounce of who we are that prepares us to be ready for the conflict tomorrow. And if we are more willing to be faithful to God than to fit in, if we are more interested in being faithful in the small test than just trying to wait till the last one, God will be faithful to continue to give us the strength to go through every trial that we face. But notice with me the last principle that caused Daniel and his three friends to be faithful. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 1 and verse 6. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 6, and we find something fascinating here. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 6. 
Now this is talking about when the Babylonians were bringing the children of Israel over to Babylon. Notice the language that is used. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 6, talking about those who were brought over. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now we know that um, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, their names were changed, right? To Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So we're talking about the same people. But notice the language. If I told you that from among those sitting in the congregation, certain people were at prayer meeting, would you know that there were more people in the congregation than the ones that I named? Absolutely, right? Now, when Daniel is writing this book, and he tells us that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were among the ones brought over from Babylon, can we gather from that that there must have been others who were brought over with them? Now, we don't have a precise number of the amount of people who were brought over to Babylon as well, but we know that there were other God-fearing Jews who were brought from Jerusalem over to Babylon. Now, these are people that Daniel and his three friends probably grew up with. They probably went to school together. They probably went to Sabbath school together. They probably went to church together. They played together. Their family raised them together. And we realize that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not the only three who were brought from Jerusalem. But yet, in Daniel chapter 3, we only see that how many were standing. Those three. And my question is, what happened to the others? What were the others doing during this time? There were only two options. One option was bow down. The other option was stand up for what you knew to be right. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even though they were just a portion of those who were brought from among the children of Judah, they were the only ones that we see faithful in standing through the last great trial. And my question this morning, is it possible for us to think that there's security in the fact that we go to church every Sabbath, that we went to church school, that we go to Sabbath school, that we're in Pathfinders, that, that we're raised around other spiritual people? Is that going to give us the security and confidence to withstand the trials that are coming upon the earth? Was it enough for the, three, the friends of the three boys? In other words, were the other ones of Judah faithful even in spite of the fact that they were under extreme trial? No. But yet they were raised in the same environment. They, hate, they heard the same sermons. They read the same Bible. But yet they were not faithful. My question this morning is, what is it that separated Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the other ones who knew exactly what they knew? Right? We started off the sermon with knowing that a test is coming does not give us the strength to stand. In other words, there has to be something else. It's not just knowing the law of God that causes us to be able to stand. Even though Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all the other people of Jerusalem would have known that. It's not just these minor things, but we realize that there's a serious matter at stake. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And as we read this, I believe we'll see the characteristic that caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be faithful even when everyone else bowed. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 
verse 9 and 10. Now in this passage, Paul is talking about the last great struggle that's coming upon the earth with the Antichrist power. The exact same struggle that Revelation chapter 13 is talking about, and which, is a symbol, which is symbolized by Daniel chapter 3. You get the package? In other words, there's a strong correlation here. Now 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 tells us that the coming of the lawless one is according to the works of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. We see that in Revelation chapter 13. And with all right, unrighteous deception among those who perish. And why did they perish? Because they did not receive what? They didn't know the Ten Commandments? Because they didn't go to church? Because they weren't in Sabbath school? No, no, no. It tells us because they did not receive a what? A love of the truth. Brothers and sisters, I can guarantee that we can go to the same church, hear the same messages, read the same Bible, but yet there is one differentiation. How will we be able to stand in the last days? One, we've seen that it's being faithful to God instead of trying to fit in. Number two, we've recognized that it's faithfulness in the small trials that will prepare us for the larger one. But number three, we realize that it's not only knowing the truth that saves us, but it's having a love of the truth that saves us. Jesus says, I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. In other words, if you do not have a love for Jesus that supersedes everything else in your life, you can have all the other rules and regulations and know them front and back, but the, the fact of the matter is, is that we will not be prepared to stand during the last great struggle. We won't be able to stand even during the small struggles. In order to be able to stand in these last days, it requires much more than just knowing facts. Much more than just knowing that a crisis is coming and even a lot about that crisis. Maybe you can identify the, the Antichrist and the second power, the two-horned beast of Revelation chapter 13, but you're still not prepared to stand. The only way that we can be ready is by God's grace of having a love of His truth in our heart. I don't know about you, but I want to make sure that I don't dishonor Jesus. Jesus has been so faithful to me. All of us can look back in our lives where we can see how God has been so faithfully working with us, revealing His glory and His character all throughout time. He's been so patient with us. He's not given us what we deserve, right? He tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we realize that even though we were unfaithful, Christ was faithful. But yet, when it comes to the point in time where God calls us to do something, how can we turn our back on Him and decide to try to fit into the world instead of being faithful to God? Some people are worried that that's unloving to those around us. But I'm more worried about being unloving to my Savior. It's not only about being, trying to be faithful, but how many of you say, Lord, I don't want to neglect the small things. I don't want to give you any more heartache or pain. I know that there's enough sin that causes suffering on your heart. And Lord, I want to be faithful in the small tests of life. We realize that we can't stand up or that we can't be faithful on our own. Amen? There's nothing we can do to work, to produce, to, to manifest this faithfulness outwardly. But we have to have a faith in Jesus' faithfulness. We have to understand that His grace works through us to empower us. 
And when we believe that, we allow Him to transform our hearts and our lives. And as a result of that, we say, Lord, I want to love You. I want to love the truth more than I love my own life. I want to love the truth more than I ever have before. And there are many of us this morning who know the truth, but by God's grace, we haven't allowed it to transform our hearts. We haven't allowed the love of Jesus to break our hearts and our minds. And this morning, you want to say, Lord, by Your grace, I want to love the truth. I want to love the truth that is, as it is in Jesus. I want to see its beauty. I want to see its holiness. I want to see the glory of God in a new way that my heart will be drawn out after Him. And by Your grace this morning, you want to say, Lord, help me to be faithful instead of fitting in. Help me to withstand those small tests. And Lord, help me to love You more than anything else in this life. Is that Your desire this morning? Lord, please, by Your grace, cause me to experience Your faithfulness lived out in my life. Well, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. There may be some here this morning who say, Lord, I just want to accept Your grace for the first time in my heart. Maybe you've resisted it. Maybe you've not seen the beauty of God's character and you've just been so fixed on the the features of knowing God and the facts, but haven't allowed the love of God to break your heart. And this morning you say, Lord, I don't only want to know the truth, but I want to love the truth. I want to know the truth as it is in Jesus. Is that your desire this morning? If so, while every head is bowed, every eye is closed, please raise your hand to heaven. The Lord sees our hands and He knows our hearts. And Father, we're so thankful that You are faithful to us in spite of our unfaithfulness. Lord, give us the strength to bring honor and glory to you by allowing you to live in our lives. We surrender our hearts to you this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.